This week, the chattering classes of this once great nation have been teeming with furious bluster, but not over the authoritarian quest to muzzle honest British men in masks or the ever-present assault on our beloved children's authors. No, they are furious about student accommodation. Time was that student living was about surviving filth and cramped conditions. I, for one, banged my forehead on many a low doorway and leaving with some sort of degree and a slew of venereal diseases. But the polenta posadists of Primrose Hill believe that students should not have been sent back to their halls in the midst of a simple viral pandemic. But what really is the coronavirus, if not a particularly stout fresher's flu? How do we expect our young people to go out into the world if they cannot survive a respiratory illness with a 5% mortality rate? With the current state of the economy, a moderate cull of student population is in their own interests. If only 75% can expect to leave with a graduate job, then a death rate of 5% is surely improving their employment prospects. However, the hummus hoshists of Hampstead Heath don't care about the economy at all. They insist that students were tricked into going back to their halls where they were promptly imprisoned when it transpires all their classes will be online and they could have stayed at home in relative safety, all because the universities wanted to get their rent. But is it a crime for a university to knowingly endanger their students to extort money from them? Legally, yes, but morally, no, because we have to think of this from the perspective of the universities. If students didn't rent those rooms, whom would they have rented them to? Should a university be left rentless just because of a global pandemic? Surely it is impossible to solve this situation without the valiant sacrifices of a few students. Indeed, if students were so worried about the conditions in their halls, they would have voted with their feet and enrolled in a different university, perhaps in a country like Venezuela, where the governing ideology is more to their satisfaction. And this isn't all that is exercising the Trotskyite Stalinists of the quinoa quarters. They are also frothing with rage, hemp underwear helplessly contorted over the appointment of Charles Moore as Director General of the BBC. They claim that Moore's hardline right-wing views and staunch hatred of the BBC make him unfit to lead an impartial public broadcaster. But what could be more balanced than an organisation led by someone who hates it? Surely, this is the definition of balance. Indeed, what could be more British than a vast and lumbering bureaucracy hamstrung by a hatred of its very self? And to suggest that Charles Moore, one of the foremost writers of rambling diatribes of his generation, is unfit to lead a politically neutral organisation because of his hardline politics, simply shows how much these people truly care about political neutrality. The point of impartial broadcasters is to never interrogate the views of anyone who works for them or the spectrum of views they allow to be broadcast. That is freedom of speech. If someone is to be on Newsnight advocating the view that climate change is real, decency demands that their opponent be someone who believes we must blow up the moon to destroy the Illuminati. <laughs> For as Voltaire said, I may disagree vehemently with what you have to say, but it is fundamental to the operation of civilization that you be given a sinecured position to say whatever mad thing you want on broadcast media without challenge. But... As the risotto rancor in Finsbury Park grows stronger, the number of positions for climate change deniers and race scientists on television grows fewer by the hour, and I fear that the number of these jobs is already fewer than 1,984. <laughs> Thank you very much to the TF Rationality correspondent, Brendan O'Neill, for coming in and dropping a few pearls of wisdom uh, for us. He is, of course, getting into his little Shriner car and driving somewhere else where his big giant brain is needed to defend free speech from the forces of everything. Uh, 
However, I can now introduce our show. It's TF uh, without Brendan O'Neill, mm. and it's me, Riley. I'm here in studio with Milo. Hi, I've just come back from serving in the Greek Air Force. <laughs> yep. um, ah, references to jokes we made before the episode. That's my. I don't know about you. That's my favorite type of a thing that we mm. do. Mm. I've been dropping plates on the northern Turkey. <laughs> exactly. Perfect. You cannot stop me. <laughs> I will try. Uh, I also have Alice and Hussein on the phone. What's up? It's the podcast hosts you are currently listening to. Uh, yes, That's right. I, I have nothing like. Where's he to say? Sorry. You're saying there was there was such a scientician intro, just like mm. uh, yeah. I'm I'm I'm, I'm, still, I'm still trying to like, learn what like a podcast is and like how you do things, how you intro yourself. So you know, just getting distracted by Beyblades. Uh, I I, yeah. I I literally mm. am. <laughs> yeah. I mean, um, a good thing to be distracted by, in fairness. And uh, invented by the Greeks. <laughs> we have jo- we have joining us today. Uh, finance journalist uh, Alex Skaggs. Uh, Alex, how's it going? Hi, pretty good. Thanks for having me. Oh, my pleasure. Yes. Uh, and so yeah. today we're going to revisit our old friend, The Line. Hmm. What's up with The Line? Why does it keep doing st- weird stuff? Uh, how come The Line will not go up or down? Come, Why has it gone sideways? How come The Line still governs every aspect of our lives, despite the fact that yes. it apparently relates to nothing? <laughs> uh <laughs> All of these questions and more will be answered, but first, I would like uh, to start us off with a quick hit. Quick hit. Quick hits. Start up. Start up. Start up. No, no, no. I have something for that, but there's a quick hit first, which is friend of the pod, uh, financial freedom fighter Lex Greensill. (laughs) Oh, cool. Cool, dude. A man who we have no way of knowing if his um, giant nature park in Cheshire is for hunting the most dangerous game. Oh. Mm. We don't know we, that, we and we can't allege cannot, it. We, we simply refuse to speculate one way or the other. Yeah. He's a simple country money farmer who's yeah. gone out to securitize a bunning snag. The simple country money farmer is at it again, because he has simply country money farmed more than $15 million in loans from the Credit Suisse Supply Chain Finance Fund that, if you recall... He and his firm Greensill were the sole introducers oh, yeah. of the, the one that does everything that he wants it to. Yeah, for like yeah, perfectly the, good business reasons that we also refuse to speculate on. Uh, absolutely, mm. he um, he uh, has apparently he he went ahead and just supply chain financed his neighbor's company. Absolute huh. mad lad, absolute <laughs> legend. I dared him to supply chain finance his neighbor, <laughs> and he actually did it. Do you think that like uh, Lex Greensill's neighbor is like Tony Soprano, and Lex Greensill is like the Cusimano family, and the, and the neighbors are like these like kind of terrifying mobsters who are constantly asking them for favors, and Lex is having to like do like I, I don't know, I don't I don't want to get murdered. <laughs> I don't want to get. He murdered. said he needs me to def- supply chain finance his sanitation business. So uh, the the company is um uh too small to file financial reports. Now I'd like huh. to turn to our um our our finance professional <laughs> Alex. When your company is too small to or, or find our finance no one about professional. Professional and no one about <laughs> it. Yeah. To know things about uh, finance. What what happens when a company that's too small to file uh reports, any kind of um uh public accounts is supply chain financed by Credit Suisse? <laughs> I mean, to be fair, I feel like a lot of the companies that are supply chain financed are too small to file reports mm-hmm. because it's basically just like a supplier saying, okay, well, like pay us when you can or when you want to in six months and nine months, whenever. So like 
it. Uh, oh, but the funny thing is, of course, that like Greensill, their whole deal is like, oh, let's do it with tech and data. So like, what could go wrong? Yeah, right? nothing as far as I'm like, concerned. Because it's, yeah, technologized yeah. and stuff. It, they use AI, don't whatever we, that is. Trash Future, have to do more income reporting than Barone Sanitation or whatever? <laughs> um, My neighbor's souping up his ute, so I hooked him up with a bit of supply chain yeah. finance. I don't see any problem with so it. I'm, I'm pretty comp- certain that we actually have to do more due diligence than Souped Up Utes Limited. So the company is um, provides services for people with learning disabilities and is run by a man named Barnabas Borbley. <laughs> Excuse me. No, no fucking way. Yeah. I I am experiencing a brain death DMT hallucination. <laughs> yeah, Barnabas Borbley, who no. is just Lex Greensill's neighbor. Barnabas Borbley, who was played by Miles Jupp in TV series Balamori. Um. So yeah, the, the company is too small to file public financial Barney? statements. Barney Borbley? Um oh, it, Barney Borbley. Also it Barney has, Barbley. It has um it's it has no history. It's just getting off the ground. And the loans appear to be tied to real estate rather than supply chain assets. Otherwise, it's a totally normal <laughs> supply chain financing operation. I think if Lex Green still <laughs> goes over for a glass of champagne, he's having a bottle of bubbly with Barney Borbley. <laughs> if, if Lex Greensill goes over for champagne He's like, ah, oh, sorry, I can't I, I forgot to bring a bottle of champagne But why don't I just hook up A bunch of credit to your, like Box that exists to raise money I went over with a bottle of bubbly But I found Barney Borbly in the bubble bath <laughs> Barney Borbly Borb for Brexit <laughs> Yeah Yeah, so, uh, yeah, so that's I think that's that's pretty fun. Um, uh, the deputy chief risk officer at Greensill said that uh, the special needs group is a great example of a company that can get fairer access to finance thanks to Greensill's ability to assess and price it's risk objectively really based on current and future cash flows. You only guess it because you, your boss is neighbors with the most dangerous game reserve, allegedly. Uh, mm. Alice, anyone can be neighbors with Lex Greensill. I guess that's true. Yeah. In the same way anyone could spend a thousand pounds to go to their local Tory MPs like fundraising dinners, anybody could be neighbors mm. with Lex Greensill. But not everybody yeah. is. No, that's true. And legally we can say that. <laughs> yeah, we can. Yeah. I mean, the, the most dangerous game could be anything. I mean, it could be like a weird game involving nut shots or something. We don't know. <laughs> the airsoft. We don't Very know. Very high yeah. tension yeah, exactly. game of Beyblade. Yeah, so that's right. <laughs> exactly. So that's uh, Greek that's, Beyblade. That is Lex. That is that is Lex Greensill. Beyblade So that is that is Lex Greensill. He appears to um have just turned his big money hose that he has. The wealthy world's person legally who isn't a central bank who has access to one of those mm. just on his friends and well wishers in order to make finance fairer. Mm. So we love to catch up with uh, our favorite uh, sugarcane farmer turned money yeah, farmer. all over your friends right. with your massive money hose. Yeah, exactly. That's what um, they want these days. Uh, gross. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> these days. Awful. <laughs> so, um, I'm now, I, I've got a, I've, I've not got a startup for us, actually. Uh, in honor of, of Alex coming on today, I have picked a financial instrument. Ooh. A new kind of financial That's instrument. That's like a startup, but worse. That has just mm. been invented. A didgeridoo made of money. Oh. Exactly. Doc Brown in his financial lab. It is called 
the Nasdaq Velez California Water Index Future. And it's grown in a very specific microclimate. <laughs> yeah. The microclimate of extreme Southern California yeah. drought. It is It is called a clear solution to water price risk management. Hold, now, hold the fuck up. I've seen Quantum of Solace. We, mm. We've done this already in the popular imagination. Surely. Yeah, it's just in this world, James Bond makes sure that those contracts get paid. Yeah, he just he like kills yeah. all of the opposite side of people. Um, now, uh, Alex, can the Nasdaq Vela's California Water Index futures, uh, the world's first derivative on water prices, being released by the CME? Um, what is what is your reaction to this being a thing now? The ability to speculate on future water prices through this financial instrument. I mean, I think it's incredible. Um, do you guys remember like way back when, when people were talking about peak oil mm-hmm. and like, that's mm-hmm. what everyone was freaked mm-hmm. out about? Like, what if it was actually peak water, like peak, peak drinkable water? And they're like, okay, well, like that's, that's all we've got now. We've only got so much water and we'll just trade that. Mm-hmm. I'm looking um, forward to it. Yeah. Well, well, I mean, well, it's certainly going to fuck over the Saudis because if there's one thing they don't have much of, <laughs> <laughs> and in that respect, I'm all in favor of it. Yeah, it's just it's 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 interesting, right? That we've um we we looked at the film Chinatown and we're like, how can we financialize this relationship? Wait, wasn't the whole point of Chinatown that it was already a highly financialized relationship? Well, it's it was that it was a highly exploitative one, uh, which is that which is not that which is that yes, you it was all about purchasing water rights, but once you had the water rights, then you were able to then divert certain amounts of water. I was, I was only half you to paying do. attention, to be honest. <laughs> so basically, what they do is they try to spot they track the spot price of water in California based mm-hmm. on water rights, which are entitlements to divert from natural sources. Um, and CME says that it hopes that the, the Chicago Mercantile Exchange, the main commodity trading um, brokers in uh, the States, hopes that, or exchanges rather, hopes that this, this price, this, the price of this future contract, uh, will become a benchmark for the acuteness of water scarcity in both California and the world, highlighting the product's usefulness uh, with regard to the UN's prediction that two-thirds of the world's population is likely to face some kind of water shortage by 2025. Hmm. Just, just hearing that last bit and yeah. having a massive panic attack. I can't see this ending badly. Yeah, I can't see anyone having a big warehouse so, full of water well, somewhere. Because that's the thing. Because it's a futures contract, they don't have to. Uh, mm. Alex, can you do you mind um, enlightening the children as to what is a future? What is a futures contract versus a normal option? Can we get McDonald's it's- on the way home. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's just. Um, I mean, it's just basically betting on the future price, and they're they're not all deliverable. Even though we did have like a kind of funny situation with that with oil earlier this year because some futures contracts are deliverable. Oh, yeah. So like depending on what kind of contract you've we got. We became an oil warehouse like, that's why for oil a while. Were negative. Yeah. Because people are like, it's actually more expensive to store the oil than it is to like buy it. Mm-hmm. Basically. Mm-hmm. So it was so expensive to store the oil that they were like, oh, I don't want to like get stuck owning it. So then oil prices or the, pr- the price of the oil futures actually went negative mm-hmm. because they were like, I don't want to pay that money. But anyway, that's that's because like people don't need oil as much anymore. Like there's, you know, green energy and stuff like that. Um, but water, I mean, you don't need that. Just just eat yeah, fuel. Go wrong. That's fine. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. I look forward to um, peak water pricing. Yeah. 
I don't know what it is you have to mix fuel with. I've not looked into it. It's calm. It's probably calm. Uh, yeah. yeah. So, um, I think yeah, because like if 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 the futures contract is just an agreement to buy something at a later date, you agree that price and you say, okay, well, in two months from now, I'll buy this much water from from you for this much money, mm. and um, then those contracts themselves you can trade. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And right so right. so basically, what happens right is that it's they this mercantile exchange says, oh, don't worry, this is just a way for like farmers to manage risk because water scarcity is incoming. Uh-huh. What it actually means is that it creates an entire speculation market that will allow... Yeah, water um, derivatives. Well, it, it, is, it is a water derivative. It allows you to... Yeah, like come. so grim. Yeah, it, allow, so <laughs> it, al- it allows you basically so to, to speculate on and profit from spikes in the price of water, usually without yourself ever having to have the capacity to then use that water. You can just... You can just own it, drive up the price, yeah. especially because the line is imaginary. Buy... Like it always yeah. was, but even more so now. Yeah. So if you buy enough of it, essentially, like, much like because um, if you buy enough of an of any kind of derivative, someone somewhere is going to have to buy the thing that it's a derivative from somewhere to hedge that risk of you buying it. Are someone you on the short end of that contract. Gamma chasing water. <laughs> not mm. I don't I don't think a gamma chase is possible with this kind of uh, he, this kind of a derivative. A little too confidently. Yeah. Six months later, they're fucking gamma chasing water, guys. Yeah. Gamma chases, I've heard of those on Grinder. <laughs> yeah. Um right, I mean again, Alex, I don't want to speak out of school here, but I don't th- I don't think that's necessarily as much of a risk, but it does seem like someone could basically drive up the price of water by buying enough of these futures contracts. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. And like, I, I don't know, did you guys see that? Um, I think it was a report from Henry Paulson's like consulting firm or something. I, I forget the details of it, but they were basically saying like, okay, well, what we really need to do to fight climate change is like monetize every natural resource. Tap and trade. It's just, worked so far. Why yeah. would it stop now? What could go wrong? It stopped yeah. global warming. We yeah, just need exactly. to keep financializing it. What could go wrong? I mean, as as we know from uh, you know, friend of the show and famous British success guy Nick Leeson, futures never end badly for anyone. <laughs> yeah, that's, oh, that's that's right. J- Bearings currently the world's most successful bank. Exactly. We're, we bank with them right now. Yeah, <laughs> we're the we're their only client. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's how well the podcast is doing, Lance. It's um, called brand loyalty. <laughs> Yeah, the futures Nick Leeson was buying was in Trash Future Podcast <laughs> at a time when <laughs> podcasting didn't exist. Yeah, he bought podcasting futures in 2003. That's how smart he was. Um, so, why is this being launched? The following is a quote from an article on MarketWatch. The water sector had long wished for some market structure for price discovery and the ability to hedge risk, uh, said DeAndre, a managing director and multi-industry analyst at RBC Cap Markets. If this new futures contract shows promise, it could spend more financial innovation related to water. Wow. How boring they managed to make evil stuff. Yeah. You now have to rent the water that you're drinking. Yeah. Yeah. It's truly like a German level of, uh, you know, kind of like adding boringness to evil, which I have to respect. Milo, what do you want from McDonald's? I'm kind of feeling like a McChicken sandwich or something. (laughs) Yeah. Maybe maybe a Big Mac and a McFlurry. Um, So, yeah, this is, uh, and, and again, like, don't forget. This is this is not just about like like actual water. It's also food prices. Mm-hmm. It's going to be deeply affected mm-hmm. by this, and just the fact of it being a futures market now means that it's open to like wild price swings. It's like expect Yay. an avocado that costs like 
20 of whatever your local currency is tomorrow oh, shit, might cost right. one the I next should day. should stop buying avocado mm. toast if I ever want to afford a house. That's yeah. right. You should buy futures <laughs> on avocado toast. Exactly. Um, and so this is also from the FT. Uh, commissioner from the CFTC, the Commodity Futures Trading Commission, Roasten Benham. <laughs> what? <laughs> no. no I, I reject this it's version a, of reality. Where there is a man. Nickname. There's a man actively destroying the future of the planet who has a name as stupid as Roastem Benham. That sounds like one of those like <laughs> southern fast food chains that like only exists in like Alabama and uh, I don't it's know like, Georgia. This is yeah. like a poorly written climate satire. Mm. It's like the the futures yeah. trading house of Dewey Roastem and Howe. <laughs> yeah, now, exactly. woman, go, go down to Roast and Benham, get them boys a chicken box. Yeah, so uh, he says water derivatives and other investment products linked to environmental, social, and governmental factors hmm. will help stakeholders manage the risk that's going to continue to present itself to us. Again, the risk is just eh? the risk is just presenting itself like, to us, in, of course. And Joe, uh, Gastown, a uh, <laughs> third one yeah. that I can't think of. Oh, the yeah. board farm. Oh, yeah. Given given what utter fucking vampires these people are, they do seem to like stakeholders a lot. Yeah. Uh, so, <laughs> so yeah, that's um, this is this is the water futures, and by the way, it's currently uh, sits at five hundred and ten ninety nine per one acre foot, which is like how much it takes to cover an acre and a foot of water. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you order today, <laughs> you can get three for the price of one. Well, you can't actually because its return to date has been more than 100%. Hmm. What does that mean? It means that the price of water is uh, doubled. Oh, oh, well, that's good. <laughs> that's good news. So actually, this bottle of water that I have on the desk has been, that's an investment. Yeah. Yeah, Wicked. Get in water, kids. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna start running the tap in the office because we don't pay for the water bill. Like, I'm gonna sell this. You'll see, you'll all see. <laughs> um Right, so uh anyone wanna guess before we move on to the actual stuff? Um who one of the biggest landowners in California is Lex on the Greenfield. basis purely of water price? No. It is um No. Uh I I I that'd be funny. No, he's too busy uh dating everyone. Oh. Uh, Hussein, what do you I'm just, think? I'm just going to say, gonna say Peter Thiel. Uh, no, you're all off by a mile. Uh, Milo, is it think even... about... No, no, it's not a person. Think is about... Is it machi- machine think gun about walk- I was like... <laughs> <Thinking about, laughs> think about walking between Oxford and Cambridge and not leaving the land owned by certain things. Oh, it's Stanford! Oh, it's not fucking Trinity College. No! <laughs> no, it's it's Harvard. Oh, oh okay. I was going to say. if That, that would have been too much. So, basically, it has now spent $305 million on California vineyards alone that have reliable access to groundwater. <laughs> oh, yeah. And will now be speculating on water futures. So, mm. um, that organization, that institution that spits out your Pete Buttigieg's and then gives his, um, mm. gives his do-nothing husband, like, a job for, for reminding people of the, the play Hamilton or whatever... Yeah. That is an organization that is directly contributing to water scarcity around the world by again trading in a very financialized form of this commodity, and only and now it's been invent. There's been a way that's been invented for that to be much I mean, easier, so that they can just do it by buying contracts look, rather than farms. Harvard running a university is expensive, and they don't have a lot of money, right? They only have a forty point nine billion dollar endowment. Mm. Yeah, me and my goons going around Harvard and going, uh, pretty nice place you got here. Looks like it's pretty uh, expensive. Yeah. Would be a shame <laughs> if anything would uh, be uh, financialized or securitized on it. <laughs> that would be. 
Yeah. Uh, so yeah. Um, anyway, so but I want to get uh, Alex your 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 sort of reflections on the growth of of this derivative. I mean, in retrospect, it feels inevitable. Yeah. Yeah. It's um. Sorry. It's pretty. It's just grim. It's just like this sort of slow financialization of basically everything in American life and global life. Um, just happening thanks to Harvard basically. And also it is extremely grim that it's Harvard doing this because like, I I don't know, just like that business school is responsible for so much managerial bullshit Mm. that like, you know, next thing you know, like they're going to be like going on to like the farms or like the water source, whatever that is. And being like, you know, I think that you guys could probably increase this water flow by like laying off half of your employees and, Mm charging them for water yeah we're gonna get yeah, mckinsey like, to refine this yeah yeah what exactly. if we brought in some japanese management philosophy and had it only rain at the exact moment when you need water <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna harvard is harvard has basically appropriated all the water bought all the all of the um you know the direction this is heading futures is ha- what, what? harvard harvard now controlling all of the natural resources in california increasingly heads it towards a united fruit style role where it deposes gavin newsom that's right um and and yeah and then uh, they sent well although the thing is they deposed gavin newsom but then they'd send in a bunch of advisors but the advisors only know how to fire people and so they would keep firing their own nun stranglers they would never actually get to do like a contra thing <laughs> that is a shame it was there was a time was when being a nun strangler was a good union and job you, know, you could rely on it you could support a family okay, it specifically wasn't they were co- they were contras who were doing that it was they really didn't like you'd get a pension <laughs> um but yeah so uh that's uh that's water futures so just another thing that is now subject to like high frequency um trading algorithms that's going to cause everything you interact with to have wild swings in prices unless of course your grocery store has a really good currency or, or future hedge in place themselves which i'm sure they all will do forever and, and those are going to collapse savings onto the consumer yes. they'll finally pa- finally the savings will be passed on to the seems consumer by the financialization the of water time. seems yeah. fine to me definitely not googling how to build own rainwater collector uh, how to desalinization plants, things of that nature. Yeah. It's very funny to me that the people who are do- the people who are do- are a coming up with this, b benefiting from it as the owners, and uh, c uh, you know say driving many of these other elements of the process are also the people who created Neom and Saudi Arabia. Hmm. Like, it's very cool. Like the guy, like the guys who are the guys who are like being like, well, time to monopolize all the water are also the ones who went to um, Listen, Prince bin, like the, Muhammad bin Salman and were like, hey, we could make you a moon. The, the, the people who decided to do a, a media company called Aussie after Ozymandias, not blessed with a lot of self-awareness, I find. Yeah. No. I love it when people completely misunderstand something they've read. Like, oh, Ozymandias, cool guy. King of Kings, apparently. <laughs> yeah. Sick. Want to be that guy. Uh, so I want to, but I want to move on from water futures a little bit here. Um, yeah, so do I. I want to about... not want to fucking kill myself anymore. <laughs> yeah. So we're gonna talk about um, we're gonna talk about uh, a little bit more of our visit to our friend the line. Why is it being weird? What what is the economy right now? <laughs> we, are, we are vibe checking the line, and we are finding those yeah. vibes to be rancid. Mm. Yeah. What is up with the line? You know, yeah. what's he up to these Alex, days? Alex, what's up with the line? Well, the line is going down today. 
but then it went up yesterday and then it went down the day before. It's the lines just um the lines having a little bit of trouble right now. I think it needs some mood stabilizers. Make up your mind line. Sorry, a squirrel has just tried to break into the TF studio. <laughs> that's that's my related to the line. Leaping into the line of fire to diagnose himself with attention deficit disorder. It wants, Absolutely. It wants the vape. Selling us some nut it wants all, Yeah, it wants all the vape juice. <laughs> yeah. So um, mm. here, is, here, is, here is what I'm going to say, right? We talked about, about what the consequences say for the line have been from a combination of like, like years of underinvestment from COVID and so on. We talked about how the contradictions. If you yes, we talked about the contradictions. We talked about how uh, in March the global economy kind of stepped off of a a very high building. And again, now much understanding of historical materialism is just understanding the forces that are <laughs> causing it to continue to fall. And I what I well, we've always talked about that at a very macro level, and. I want to go into a little more about what the consequences of that means at an institutional level. Yeah, because the micro and, level is you can't afford water anymore. Yeah. And Boring. Yeah. Uh, I'll just drink Mountain Dew. Stop fucking with me. <laughs> and so what that means, basically, right, is that a higher and higher proportion of companies are becoming something called zombie firms. For a little bit of context, Ooh. in Britain, 6% of the economy was zombie firms at the beginning of the pandemic, and now it's about 21%. Well, that's good, because that's growth, right? Yeah. So that's, that's what we want. That's the one line going up, is how many zombie firms are exactly. there. Exactly. Zombies are good, right? I, I've uh, not seen many of the films, but they're, yeah. they're popular. Exactly. It's, 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 um, it's great news for uh, like Epic Bacon 2014 uh, Redditor yeah, YouTuber people. I'm going to get like a lots mild of steel katana mm. with a, like a neon paracord handle. Yeah. So, yeah. uh, Alex, what is a zombie company? So, a zombie company is a company that basically is on... It can't, like, really survive on its own. Like, there is no sales growth. Um, it can't actually fully cover the cost of its debt with last year's earnings. Um, but it sort of lives on. Like, it's not in bankruptcy. It's um, it's just kind of like muddling along until it either goes into bankruptcy or gets better, maybe. A company that may or may not live next door to Lex Greensill. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, yeah, and so this this is often connected to like um, lots of sort of government handouts for companies that tend to ossify them in their current structures. Mm. So th anything from the coronavirus business interruption scheme to just interest rates being zero generally. That's sort of the common explanation as to why there are lots of, of zombie firms. But uh, Alex, you and I were speaking about this the other day, that there's more interesting de definition is non-financial, right? Where it's essentially that the yeah. current number of firms is surplus to aggregate demand, but it's politically not expedient to allow them to fail. Right. And a lot of this, you know, okay, so at least in the US, like, you know, everyone is obsessed with jobs. Like no one talks about like giving people money. Like, you know, the most ambitious like left stuff that people even think about in the United States is like, oh, let's give everyone a job. Um, but like the public sector in the U.S. is so unconfident in its ability to do anything that like it can't give people jobs. So it's basically just like paying companies to keep people employed. So there's not like mass chaos and like more riots in the streets and like an actual revolution basically so i mean 
these companies are surviving because the interest rates are so low that like they don't necessarily like have to pay down their debt now. Like they can just refinance indefinitely because rates are zero. Slavoj Zizek was right. It's it's liberal communism. We finally achieved UBI for like jet ski dealerships. (laughs) Exactly. Except it's like for the um, people who are then like, oh, but like we don't want our workers to have pandemic assistant payment a pandemic assistance payments because then like they might not come into work and like for us we want we need to be able to like exploit our employees enough to force them to work if they could get it's sick. very interesting that a calculation has apparently been made at some level that you personally not being able to pay your rent the crisis that that like brews up that's okay that's survivable but your boss not being able to pay like the ground rent, that's the real danger. But also the other real danger is that you might not become dependent on continuing to be employed by your boss. So in, in that effect, right, it's it is we is that the, these structures for distributing money, which is firms that have payrolls, even if those firms basically don't trade, those it's more important maintaining the hierarchies in those structures. It's more important making sure that as that like as that money comes down from the state, either in the form of low interest, of zero interest rates, or business interruption loans, or the the furlough scheme, whatever, that your employer is still able to like decide how much of it you get and keep the rest for themselves, effectively. Wait, right? Are you saying that our economy is structured around some kind of axis of control? <laughs> but surely, when in the midst of a global pandemic, people who are working from home were encouraged to go back to the office for no reason because they love the train. Surely that was just because the people love the train. The good, the good train, the choo-choo. Yeah. The choo-choo they, train. They love bands. Exactly. They love bands. Yeah, they're like, everyone in this country is Ralph Wiggum. Yeah. Um, but so I think it's, it's important, though, to understand, right, like, that we if we talk about the line going stop, like, this is sort of what we mean, is that these that there are these structures that used to, let's say, cre- that used to engage in actual underlying yeah, it, economic it, it activity was, it was are now being invention, yeah. but it bore some reality, both like mm. causative and as an effect to something concrete, instead of just being one Australian man's game of The Sims. Um, and so, if you want an example, uh, a, a, this is a UK example. Uh, retail footfall is down to historic lows since they started measuring, people right? People don't want to fucking right. die. How however, to get their steps up, the Fitbit will be upset. However, retail bankruptcies are well below even where they were in 2008. That's fine. Huh. And because retail borrowing is orders of magnitude higher than it's ever been in history since people started measuring. And that can go on forever. <laughs> Nothing bad will ever happen because you just you borrow the money and you never pay it back, and you you buy you buy the futures in What's, water, wh- and that ends well, um, and everything is fine. Alex, that can go on forever, right? <laughs> what could go wrong? Well, the interesting thing is that in the U.S., like retailers are filing for bankruptcy. But what that means here is just that like retailer landlords are buying up a ton of retailers. And so like going into bankruptcy for most of these retailers hasn't actually meant going meant going out of business. It's just meant concentration and having like five retailers left total. 
But I'm, then, I'm then pleased to announce that since our merger, Ray's pager and fax machine empire is in perfect financial health. <laughs> um, so that's the other <laughs> question, right? You, blockchain. <laughs> you can go. You can go one step beyond that, which is okay. Well, then, who are the customers going to be for all of those locations? Yeah, don't worry about it. Yeah. Yeah, futures. They're going to be the, the derivatives of customers. <laughs> yeah. Theoretical customers. Can I interest you guys in buying an extremely rare tulip from me? <laughs> it's good. <laughs> the price is only going to go up. Let's just game that out for a second, right? A massive consolidation in the retail sector. I mean, this is happening, for example, with um, the, the shop, very tech-enabled uh, bricks-and-mortar stores in the UK as well, like Next. A lot of them now are entering... So it's weird. Powerful stores are entering into agreements with landlords where they say, you'll have a percentage of our revenue when we start trading again, but we're going to stay open. And once again, uh, you no cannot make these agreements. No, you, of course, cannot. <laughs> no. Um, then uh, the non-powerful uh, retailers are being, as you say, Alex, taken in the States, at least taken over by their landlords. But like mm -hmm. all of those locations are continuing to employ people or continuing to be paid or continuing to buy stuff. But then eventually, someone's going to have to actually buy something. Nah. Nah. But what if you just ah, keep ah, rolling ah. the customer forwards forward? Yeah. Like the customer futures. Look, right? I've played musical chairs before. And as far as I know, I've been pl I'm still playing. The music yeah. has never stopped. Yeah, it's a game where the music goes on infinitely. Um, the music is always Zorba the Greek. It just keeps getting faster and faster. The number of chairs stays the same. If anything, the number of chairs increases. That's yeah. my understanding. Oh, as far as I'm understanding, I mean, if you want to actually think about this, really, is that this is that, and, and again, this, this number of businesses that are now zombies who are what are they saying? Yeah, they have the relationship between economic activity and debt and equity has flipped, right? They are they are now just basically places to put debt and equity. They are, so they, they are disconnected from the line. They are now line no, still, storage warehouses. <laughs> they're they're connected to the line, just on the other end of it. They're no longer yeah, the, causing the it. They're now caused by it. shape. Yeah, effectively, I, yes. I love how this is now becoming like a sort of Kafkaesque scenario <laughs> where even the people in charge of what's going on don't really understand it. Like you're getting to the point where Gorka is like, "Ah, yes, Mister Chopper, my my everyday carry is now a theoretical pistol, <laughs> a pistol, a future pistol which I own and which will only increase in value." You are you are talking of the economy in terms of people eventually buying a product. I have transcended the concept of products altogether. Why don't we just? I merely own the possible opportunities to yeah. have products which will never exist. Well, why don't have you we heard simply... of Amway? <laughs> <laughs> why don't we simply like, Would you like do to buy an a cupboard, Mr. Chapo? Around the gun guys by selling them yeah. self-defense futures. Like, um, you, you cap and trade uh, shooting people. And then that mm. way you make a bet that they will shoot someone in the future. And yeah, as a such, future in not having been shot. And then when you do get shot, it's really valuable. Uh, well, like, so if ba the, sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was gonna say the shooters are gonna be the only people who can afford to buy anything. That's true. So because the only jobs in the futures are gonna be security guard and and like restaurant waiter mm -hmm. or like the like oh, yes the two genders ten thousand rich people. Yeah, I, right, exactly. Hold on, I, I'm having a I'm having I'm having a, a, a Proustian um uh, reverie where I'm remembering John Delaney's proposal for ending gun violence in the states. 
was that you charge an insurance premium on a gun owner that goes up the more people they shoot so that it makes it economically unviable to be a mass shooter. Wait, hang on. This is just the Chris Rock bit about what if a bullet costs (laughs) $5,000. Yeah, it was a a platform from one of the um, uh, admittedly like one of the trailing leaders, but still leaders of the people who were going to try to win the president. Democratic pump. Oh, yeah. Hitting Democratic that bong and half remembering a Chris Rock bit from like 2002. <laughs> awesome. What it, if this was the Democratic policy? It was the third billionaire. It was John Delaney. Yeah, John yeah, Delaney. Brother of Rob. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the, 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 the big strong billionaire. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so uh, but that's just a, a memory. But like, if you, if you think about like why that's a fundamentally like neoliberal approach to doing anything like this, all of these strange financializations as little bit bits of trickery. It's because this is all really about um is all really about maintaining homeostasis in a in a a system of exchange that's designed to, you know, put uh, have cer- certain people in control and certain people being controlled. And all of these little bits of risk management from water futures to these strange loan agreements to the persistence of zombie companies mm. is just sort of the um it is a, a, dege- a degenerating system maintaining itself, and these are all morbid That's symptoms. why it's so funny to see a lot of, like, uh, let, let's say more, uh, m- more orthodox financial journalists just being like, huh, why is this happening? Kind of weird. You know? Huh. huh. Hmm. It's really crazy. And, well, the funny thing is, like, when I first started doing finance journalism, I, like, didn't, you know, I went to college and high school in the United States. So I like didn't understand like class politics at all. And everything was so confusing. And then like you learn a little bit more. And, you know, I worked for the FT and was like, oh, I understand this now. And like all of a sudden, every single thing actually makes sense. If you were trying to not use a class politics frame to talk about something like zombie companies, what on earth would you how would you explain that? It's just a bunch of it's, it's just a bunch of people making decisions to preserve jobs. Yeah. Why are so we I, preserving I, 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 the jobs? Because jobs are good. Because people like them. People like the train. Alex, I, may I add brains? Alex, I'm interested to know how how would you go about make like accounting for the existence of zombie companies without engaging in class politics? I'm curious to see oh, if, you, if you're capable of doing it. Well, everyone, so that's why everyone blames the Fed, right? Because everyone's like, oh, well, interest rates are zero. And that's weird because like historically interest rates haven't been zero. And like, that's the thing that's changed. So like, because interest rates are zero, God, that must be the reason there are all of these zombie companies. It's the Fed's fault. Yeah. You could then ask, why are interest rates zero? And why has it meant necessarily that this is the outcome of free money? I have found your answer, by the way. And the answer is, I, I, I knew I would get it from the Wall Street Journal. And of course, their answer is it's not happening. And so <laughs> yeah, on the it tenth, it doesn't exist. On the 10th of May 2020, a nation of zombie borrowers isn't inevitable, even with more debt. Hmm. What's the what's the because the mechanism that I know uh, that, that these <laughs> in people the third use, paragraph they say okay, this this sounds like it makes no sense. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I love these kind of articles where they accidentally say the truth and then be like, but no, that can't be right. (laughs) Now, here's something insane that is an alternative. (laughs) I mean, the weird thing is that like what what 
financial news pundit people seem to want is for like the Fed to raise interest rates, which also doesn't make any sense because it's like, okay, well, like unemployment is what? 8% officially here, even though like the actual job losses and people without jobs is like much higher. And they're like, oh, well, if you just force all these companies out of business, then like they'll be punished. And then the good companies will like rise from the ashes, not taking into account the fact that like when you have mass layoffs, people suffer, you know, it's like there's no safety net to actually catch anyone. So like, you know, people go into bankruptcy themselves because all of a sudden they don't have health care when they lose their jobs. Huh. People, Why don't the like, health insurers people get evicted? Like it just doesn't, the actual consequences of this are so big, like having a ton of companies fail that like people just don't seem to be like connecting those two why don't you simply become a zombie person and then your health insurer mm. has to keep paying you subsist only on brains anything. well i'd alex i'd i for one didn't realize that you were going to take up the loony left position of suffering is bad <laughs> that's not something that we try and advocate on this podcast we're more of like a kind of rational debate space <laughs> the, the, the final the final paragraph of this wsj thing by the way is the danger is that central banks handing out money doesn't just cure the zombies, but creates inflation. That's not a yeah, problem for now. And as M&G oh. fund manager Eric Lonigan says, it is easy to fix. If by a miracle we do too much, it's not a problem. You that j- was going to be the plot of 28 months later. They eventually cure the rage virus, but it leads to inflation, <laughs> which ultimately was worse. It's not a problem. You just raise taxes. Mm. Uh, no one's a zombie anymore, but now a loaf of bread is one pound fifty. So I don't know. No one can say if it's good or not. I love yeah, the Wall Street right. Journal so much, man. Yeah, it's so cool. You Just... might you might say that this makes no sense. Anyway, <laughs> but let's let, let us let us pretend. Come reason with me that it does. <laughs> let us imagine for a moment that it does. Uh, Join so. me in my mind palace. So come, come with me to the to the mind dojo where we shall engage in the in financial taekwondo. Yes, that is. Uh, I hope the- you brought your foot gloves, Mister Chapo. Why? Okay. Why? Why is? Why is? Why is James Adomian's Sebastian Gorka always so... addressing a different podcast? <laughs> I don't know. Because Mister Chapo is a tremendously Mister Trash Future is not quite as funny. Yeah. We need a snappier name that fake mm. Gorka can address yeah, us no, by. It's, it's because the strongest joke in that whole bit is Gorka thinking that Chapo is a single man. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So uh, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to steer us back on here, which is wrapping up our, our, our interview with the zombies, uh, which is that essentially right that when debt and equity, rather than being based on underlying economic activity, thereby generating uh, the, the lime, where debt and equity serves as the basis for economic activity that renders the line a kind of measure of elite confidence in a quick recovery. And what we have is the illusion of a normally functioning capitalist system, which is for a pretty considerable slice of the economy, stop working in March. And what le- that leaves us is, you know, two questions, which I'll sort of turn to Alex for. What happens when the creditors realize that his recovery won't be quick? Uh, it sounds good to me. I don't know. I'm just kidding. Um, Like, is that good? No. Um, I, I feel like, I mean, 
I think what they're really going to do is go to the Fed and be like, you have to buy high yield bonds now because we're not going to get paid back. Um, or And until then, it's just going to be like financial market it's chaos. Fine. You just, like, you just, you just, just raised taxes. Yeah. You just raised just. taxes. Just that, and the mo- and, mm. and then monetary policy takes care of the rest because it creates the in- it creates the incentives and in to create such great companies <laughs> as Abig Noah Green Energy, NMC Healthcare, uh, uh, um, Bright House, all these other great companies that have been independently viable. Yeah, they just live next door amazing. to cool guys. Uh, uh, you know, one t- thing that's amazing too is that uh, one of the zombie companies now is Ford. Huh. Like the car company. Wow. When Neiman yeah. Marcus was the last big one that actually like died, right? That collapsed into undeath. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. The yeah, rest of them I are think that's still operating. Really? Yeah. I mean, yeah. Uh, to be honest, I think it's it's pretty bad that we're all we're all having a go at Lex Greensill, you know, a person from the global south, for <laughs> simply practicing mutual aid uh, with you know some of his struggling uh, fellow uh, people of business. Lads, um, lads, we've got a plan. What we do, we move the entire global economy in next door to Lex Greensill on the other side. The he will have no choice. We invite Lex Greensill over for a cookout. <laughs> Step one: when he's halfway through a snag. <laughs> Step one: find him. a guy with yeah. money. Step two: take all of that money. Exactly. Step three: Make America a better but place. Pain and gain on a global um, scale. So even, the second. So right. The but what happens when the creditors realize this recovery will not be quick? It seems as though what's going to happen is, as you say, Alex, lend it more money. Lend it more money, but the more, but they're basically this has to go further and further and further up the chain to the Fed, where eventually that's going to ha- that will result in either a brutal program of austerity. Or everyone in the Democratic Party having enough heart, having heart attacks in a row, such that makes Bernie Sanders the president. <laughs> yeah, are you suggesting that Vladimir Putin is going to poison everyone in the Democratic Party except uh, right. Bernie what Sanders? What you're inadvertently re- recapitulating here is the plot of season one of absolutely dogshit Fox show Designated Survivor. Yeah. Oh yeah. So it basically, it's can't believe be- that Joe Biden padlock- padlocked himself in a suitcase and jumped out of a third-story window. <laughs> so, I but- guess he must have been bottling it up. But essentially, what I, what I think I'm kind of saying here, right, is that that story of the Fed buys tons and tons of high-risk bonds. That's basically TARP and sl- troubled asset relief program, the 2008 bailout in slow motion. That then Top. that then is going to end up. With just brutal austerity, unless Bernie Sanders is in like a designated survivor situation. <laughs> no, no, this isn't. This isn't us. We're not sweeping things under the rug. We're sweeping them under this uh, top. Yeah, <laughs> it's Look, very different. I mean, Alex, Alex, does that sound credible to you? So, so like I, I think that you're. I think you're definitely onto something. The weird thing is that like the austerity is already starting, but the thing is, it's only starting for people who aren't investors. <laughs> like it's starting for oh, people who work at restaurants in New York. It's well, I'm not worried about that. <laughs> well, I know. Gosh. I mean, just those people. Yeah. Um, but like, the, that's that's a crazy thing about this. And like, the weird thing about some of the bankruptcies that have happened too is like, none of them are even that contentious. Like, everyone's just like, oh yeah, well, we don't want to like, you know, have the financial system fall apart. So like, let's just team up and make sure that like the creditors get a deal that they can live with, and like, you know, even the shareholders get a little bit of money out of this, and like. You know, we're all happy. At the same time, Congress is sitting there saying, like, oh, well, like, our small business constituents keep telling us that we can't give people money or else they won't come back to work. So 
we just can't give people money. Mm. Mm. I, 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 found, I found another Wall Street Journal patented solution. I found a way out of this. Okay. It's, Is it that it's not happening? It's simply that you have your central bank just have a negative borrowing rate. Just make all of the debt into money. Yeah. Just do Look, that. We're just going we're just going to keep on wishing with paper that all of the production will start up again when there is a physical impediment to the production it, it, happening. It tells us liquidity would be transformed directly into solvency. Ah. Huh. Well, that's good. Look how clean it gets this old penny. You just, you just move the line. You just flip yeah. the graph over. <laughs> you just rotate we just... 180 degrees <laughs> and it's going up. I mean, it is it is very funny that sort of all of these solutions, whether it is by keeping zombie companies afloat or just with the Wall Street Journal, like saying, what if we got a bigger piece of paper to draw the line on? Which the European yeah. Central Bank is apparently considering doing. Yeah. Well, what it is, is it's, it is... It is a it is a fur is an aller, an allergy and co- complete unwillingness a structural unwillingness to consider any of the actual real stuff in production. You can't consider the actual physical either labor or movement or transactions or whatever that goes on because then you're going to have to confront the reality that that's being performed by people with physical needs that we need to be like attended to. We don't like doing that. We like technocrats yeah. who can then just say, oh, we just we just set the borrowing rate to minus 1%. <laughs> and, oh, I do, I do. My name is uh, Estevan Pedophili from the European Central <laughs> Bank and I, I don't see any problem with the fact that every glass of water in Austria now costs 15 <laughs> Euro. I'm fairly sure that with small interest rate adjustment, people can go back to living happy lives in the basement. Um, right. So before we move on to the uh, to the other 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 segment, right? Like I just yeah, I want to see. It's like the there is no liberal. There is no liberal solution to what's going on right now because it just shuts its eyes and refuses to acknowledge the fact that there are going to be more zombie companies. There are going to be there are yeah that's that that's just it. There are going to be more zombie companies. Production is going to get less. Economic activity is going to go down, and you can't just like draw the line in a different color, and then decide that that means something. Counterpoint. Borrow more women debt. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, like the weird thing, the weird thing is that like what seems to be happening right now is just that like the investor class is handing itself money over and over. And it like has a lot more money to hand to like one another, like, you know, one shareholder to a bondholder or a shareholder to another shareholder. And so they're like, all right, look at all this money. There must be production behind it. But like, there's no actual evidence of the production. We can play musical chairs forever. We've got so many fucking chairs. (laughs) Yeah. It's, I mean, but they're- got the Greek Air Force band playing. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Yeah, it just freaks me out because like what if the financialized economy or the like financial system, quote unquote, is like so separated from like any real concrete production or real economy type stuff that like maybe it can. Line goes yeah, stop. I like I don't think it can. <laughs> maybe the line like, maybe the line will only go up. Yeah, I mean that that's that that was my thesis with line goes stop is that like Okay, maybe the line's behavior itself won't be that bad. It just won't bear any resemblance to what's actually happening anymore. It's yeah. now it's now the like map of the empire rather than the territory. Mm. That's been our visit from the line. Uh, but from our line to your line, have a happy lines, miss. 
Uh, exactly. I'd now, like, How talk- about a visit to the line? <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Uh, yeah. It's a fr- it's a Friday night. You're all gathered around an iPad. Why not? Yeah. You know, visit the line. Mommy, is that the line? Exactly. Um, By w- logging onto the Bloomberg app on your iPad. That was the lo- that was the line, sweetie. Now mm. it's just a now here nothing but a pair of stumps oh. remains. I can't see this economic information. Let me just use this credit card to sweep this dust out of the way. <laughs> um, so let's talk. What is let's talk about SoftBank because we've talked about SoftBank a lot on this show, right? Uh, we talk about their startups. We talk about their vision fund. We talk about all their wackiness. But we very mm. rarely have talked about the soft people bank. behind the soft yeah well quite quite behind quite, quite literally the music yes. we have very mm. we have not done a behind the music on softbank and uh, alex you also have had a very interesting article on softbank that's come out recently um so but the news hook for this is that they are seeking to pay down their debt level uh even as their liabilities increase they're selling off a bunch of assets including profit making entities like arm brightstar and so on um and uh they are looking at going private. Now, I wanted Ooh. to know if you could give us your your take on what SoftBank actually is, other than a company that makes uh, wholly owned commercials feeling, featuring hecking good doggerinos. Invented by the Greeks. <laughs> Amazing. Um, well, so it was interesting, right? Because I was like, what is SoftBank anyway? Like, you know, you, you think about the mobile phone company, um, but like I wasn't around or really paying attention in like the year 2000 because I was 12 and I'm sure you guys were even younger. But like SoftBank itself actually just bought that mobile phone business in 2006, hmm. which I didn't realize. I was like, oh, it's like a cell phone company. I mean, it turns out its entire deal is like buying things and making ads. Like it's, it's uh, just a company that like owns other companies. Like it started off as a software distributor and mm-hmm. then it bought a bunch of trade publications and in, like using basically stuff that it learned from the trade publications, it like invested in tech companies mm-hmm. and like that was like how it got big. It started selling it, shower it, it curtains books. to the US military and from there... I mean, it's literally the first time I ever heard the name SoftBank was their like uh, commercials that went sort of semi-viral, where like there's a a white samurai dog who like talks and is also like paterfamilias of a Japanese family. It's very strange. Um, I mean, samurai is Russian for (laughs) self-eating. Well. Uh, I guess, in a way... Invented the self-eating dog. That is a metaphor for... uh, Are you having problems with dogs that refuse to eat themselves? Are you a sucker buying food for a dog who doesn't even work for a living? Why not get this dog? May be named for the Sami people, but, like, go off. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. I like to bring bring in the Russians. Yeah. And the Greeks. Yeah, that's right. Uh, Right. Dogs invented by Greeks. Masayoshi San's 300-year vision for, again, like a, what, a company that was a, tr- a company that owned trade shows, magazines, distributed some just software. Just around and found out, LLC. Yeah, a, a company, Bank, when it was Banksoft. A company that just did some stuff. Um, his 300-year vision for this, which was, again, given 20 years ago, before they were even a mobile phone company. This is some deeply Mormon shit. So, I've got a 300-year vision here, guys. Well, so it's now his 280-or-so-year vision. Uh, uh-huh. Which is a technology revolution that will ultimately culminate in a singularity, a point where AI supersedes uh, human intelligence and redefines every single industry in the global economy. Plays Deus Ex once. <clears throat> but really, I think what's interesting about SoftBank is, A, they're not very good at this, no, uh, to, to say the least. 
but B, most of who they've hired to actually carry this off isn't AI people. It's not uh, technologists. It's not visionaries. It's not anyone. It's mostly bankers. Yeah, it's not that cool huh. futurist guy Shingy. Yeah. Mm. So, uh, because Alex, your 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 you when you see SoftBank, you don't see um you, you the PR or the Vision Fund, obviously. But what you see is actually a bank. Yeah, it's just. I mean, it's like a bank investment fund kind of deal. Like it's all it's ever done is invest in companies. Mm-hmm. Which again, I was like, oh, I, I thought it like did stuff, or at least I thought it was one of these things where it like used to do stuff and like no longer does stuff. But yeah. it is sort of like it was it was ahead of its time. Hmm. We'll say. If any if anything, it's time as a Japanese like SIM card um uh, retailer through again a joint venture with Vodafone was more the exception than the rule. That, again, that's yeah. so close to literally being a fake business plan in the movie Pain and Gain. <laughs> um, and you know, this is also this isn't, isn't just SoftBank though. Many most tech companies rather. Like they're, especially the big ones, the Fangs, the Facebook, Apple, um, uh, 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 Google, and Netscape. whatever the N one yeah. is, the the, the gamer I, conglomerate, the one that you can't say, <laughs> N bomb incorporated. Uh, yeah. Well, they all have so much cash, right? Like, and this is this also sort of speaks back to the thing about how the economy now is just investors giving each other money um like apple i think still has like almost 200 billion dollars on its balance sheet in just like cash and then like bonds Mm -hmm. so like basically every one of these big tech companies and now softbank um are just big investment firms basically like i mean they you know apple obviously like makes iphones and stuff but like it's such a big part of their Mm. balance right yeah. Like, Do, does your company have a water cooler? Congratulations, you're an investor, baby. <laughs> the the N in Fang, by the way, is Netflix, which yes, also Netflix. fits because Netflix also adopts this kind of scattergun approach of just buying every intellectual property it sees. And like, it maybe technically is in the business of like entertainment, but what it's mostly in the business of is buying stuff and then just holding yeah. on to it. On that note, do you know what Netflix has recently bought and has been desperately trying to get me to watch, as though Netflix isn't aware that I've already watched this, is uh, SAS Ultimate Force starring Ross Kess. That's a (laughs) British analogy. Best show of 2005. We should should watch that for for the pod at some point. Um, So if you look at, but if you look right, if you say the purpose of a system is what it does rather than, you know, um, what it sort of says it does doesn't really sell ser- what does SoftBank actually do to generate revenue it doesn't really sell services to the public or at least not directly mm. except like for one japanese phone company um but mostly what it does is it has its two vision funds then it engages in proprietary security trading so like prop trading so it'll invest in options and stuff on the market and and, and so it's you and you can now see it's got a long it has a it's a bank without customers. It has a a long term, or its customers are like the Saudi royal family, yeah, it's uh, or, the, a, or it's a hedge fund wearing a comical disguise. Yes, exactly. It's a hedge fund in a Patagonia vest. <laughs> Why, Mister Hedge Fund? No, I'm Mister Snedge Fund. Yes, uh, I'm Mister SoftBank. Yes, um, and you know it. it it is. It's just. It's Soft very interesting. Does to look sound at like it. a euphemism for hedge fund. Now that you think about it. 
<laughs> it's true. And so when you think, so all I mean, it seems almost like um, obvious for us to say, but you know, when in 1999, Massa says, my philosophy is that the digital revolution will make mankind happier and more productive. Uh, and that, that philosophy won't change over the next 300 years. Um, well, that, that was a Francis Fukuyama ass prediction. Yeah. <laughs> but, but like that, you know that that's pure that's pure marketing to just try to make your hedge fund look like it's um benefiting everyone effectively mm. yeah and um and like the funny thing is that like softbank moving into like public markets is like a relatively recent thing and one of the reasons or one of the only reasons it even did that is because another hedge fund elliot management bought up a bunch of its shares and started leaning on it to be like hey uh you got to give us some of your money man you've got too much so like again just in money circulating within investors um you know creating more money for elliot management but like what what is it that they're doing. Well, it's because well, there's that like, Elliot management. I'd like to speak to Mr. Elliot management, please. So there's I have this, some questions about his financial dealings. Um, so there's this there's this assumption, right, that as investors are trading money between one another, that that must therefore represent some kind of underlying economic activity. Yeah, there must be because, some value. There must be some coats yeah, and some linen happening here. There must be some linen coat being made. Something must be happening. Um, but that these trades are basically being made sort of just on the basis of confidence tricks uh, against one another, right? There is no, there is no, or there's a shrinking amount of underlying economic activity being traded on on the basis of Elliott Management trying to get SoftBank to do a a, a big share buyback, even though much of SoftBank's like. A stated value is they'll invest in a company at one valuation, invest in the company again at a sky high valuation, and then book the difference as profit, which they literally is something that they do. Mm-hmm. Right? That's cool. We made a profit because we basically sold something to ourselves. Well, it's, it's still less dope. contrived than just just reverse the uh, the borrowing rate, right? Yeah, mm. but that all of these all of these paper transformations are basically just ways to keep the numbers high for a very small amount of people. Whether that is Elliott Management, whether that is the owner of a zombie company that wants to stay the owner of something, or whatever. Yeah. It's all just well, kind of different versions of the same thing. I love this. This is so Trump. Just big numbers. Well, it, the numbers are so it, big. Have you considered? Sorry, it's all just kind of feels as if like the kind of driver of all, like the, the only real driver of economic activity is like hyping. Everything is just yeah. about like hyping, like hyping companies that don't really do anything, hyping companies that won't do anything, but making money on the basis of hype. Like, really, it's kind of it, it is a kid, except, you know, I was going to say it's akin to like a hype beast economy, except I feel like the hype beast economy at least has like some demand at supply. Least you logic. Get a shirt. Yeah. And at least yeah. you get, and at least you kind of like get some cool stuff to show your friends. Whereas like over here, yeah. yeah you know, it had a shirt future. Oh my god, Pimp My Economy was Tim Softbank. <laughs> That's right. Yo, dog! Your economy is <laughs> looking sad! About your say, phone, what if it was Japanese? It's a billion dollars now! <laughs> I, I was about to say, we say that Softbank doesn't do anything, but they do own a baseball team in Fukuoka, Japan. The Fukuoka yeah. Softbank Hawks. Honkbolu Huftaklasu. I do they, think they, we should all get Softbank Hawks uh, hats and like yes, gear. We should. Yes, we will. We're going to get those. We mm. also, they own through Fortress Investment Management, which they bought in 2017 to like mm. give them the infrastructure to be a 
fund that trades basically it was a very weird mod for team fortress um, 2 <laughs> what they what they did was they they got that and they they purchased that asset manager and then they um through that they now own most local media in the US because that asset manager owns Gannett which owns most local media in the US oh. so softbank chances are owns your local paper that's cool. Yeah, the old SoftBank uh, news. I, yeah. prefer I wonder why my, my, my local thing. paper had become I, theoretical I, I, recently. I'm a big fan of um, I'm a ba- I'm a big fan of like the SoftBank Review and the Dartford News Shopper. So, <laughs> um, <laughs> the Dartford SoftBank Shopper. The other thing is uh, the the guy who's sort of engineered most of these transformations is not actually Masayoshi San. It's Rajiv Misra. Uh, now, Alex, who is Rajiv Misra? Uh, so he, I think he runs the the Vision Fund, right? He he, he used to be a Deutsche Bank. Um, oh well, that's good. He is an interesting guy. Yeah, Deutsche Bank, um, just a a name that inspires trust. <laughs> Certainly not yeah, the recipients yeah. of like five of the largest SEC fines they've ever issued. Yeah, Deutsche yeah. is actually German for good. Yeah, so <laughs> it's not it's not as though they it's could possibly like Austrian be bank. Come on, it's no. not as though they handled all of Epstein's money. Oh. No, it couldn't be that. <laughs> yeah, like, um, it's not like uh, Loki. Extremely elite. No, like, HSBC might allegedly be the bank that you go to if you're allegedly in serious organized crime, but Deutsche Bank allegedly has the most sinister mm. vibes. Of any of the I'll large have banks, you know that we put all of Epstein's money in a big account that was labeled not for child sex trafficking. <laughs> and we explicitly said that it wasn't to be used for that. <laughs> so um, R- Misra was this guy, uh, bigwig at Deutsche Bank, who uh, was in charge of their subprime real estate task in 2006. What a great time. Oh, wow. <laughs> and now he's in charge of making companies magically worth billions of dollars. Yes, sure. Look, lightning doesn't strike twice. If this guy was involved in the subprime mortgage crisis, now everything he does statistically has to turn to gold. He's had his big fuck up. One guy he's couldn't fuck- crash yeah. the global economy two times. He's, he's <laughs> the safest person yeah, look, to possibly yeah, have. Look, he's, he's fucked up, but he's growing, he's learning, um, he's becoming a better person. Yeah. We should give him a second chance. Exactly. exactly. Yeah. Um, but other other Deutsche people at, at SoftBank uh, include uh, uh, Akshay Neheta, um, who engineered the $1 billion wire card trade that we talked about a little while ago. Mm, good trade. Uh, and uh, a, a Colin Fan, who was uh, finan- uh, financial news junkies will know he was the wunderkind who made MD at 28 before being improperly fired for improperly profiting from personal activities. Um, oh, I see. He has only fans. He's also uh, in charge of inventing what companies are worth a billion dollars for, for reasons of various. Hmm. It's just it's very strange to me that there's just this massive concentration of mostly Deutsche, some Goldman people who are now in charge of some fraudsters. <laughs> yeah, who are now in charge of um, the. See, it seems to be the main way that the economy keeps inventing stuff. Yeah. He's got the fraud out of his system now. Yeah. He won't do it again. I mean, uh, Alex, is this at all meaningful yeah, to you? Who, I mean, who among us has not accidentally crashed the global economy, right? Like, you know. <laughs> Twice. He's, yeah. uh, <laughs> he was in his 20s, you know. Uh, no, yeah, he wasn't. That lamppost came 20s. out of nowhere. Um, yeah. Exactly. Um, no, I, so I'm looking now. I'm trying to find this amazing story about, like, 
the way that the internal politics at SoftBank have worked or within the Vision Fund, um, I think it, that's actually a Wall Street Journal thing, but it's like the news group. It's, mm-hmm. um, what's his name? Bradley Hope, who's like uh, pretty good at what he does. But, um, oh God, I'm trying to remember the details. He like basically was like trying allegedly uh, trying to like entrap his colleagues to push them out of the company because they like said something rude to him once. Like I don't, mm. again, I don't remember the details, oh, but all, all the soft bank people light. are total psychos. Uh, an example also, this was just reported uh, in Bloomberg, Navneet Govil, their CFO uh, just once said, Chinese people sound stupid. <laughs> huh. um, and, uh, Jeff Hausenbold, who uh, excuse me, excuse me, yeah, uh, who has a twenty thousand bottle wine cellar, but he's completely teetotal and doesn't drink. Um, that is the most jokerified shit I've ever heard in my life. Yeah. Would you like to? Uh, would you like to come to my wine oh, yeah. cellar, Mister Chopper? How, how many? 20- how many of his enemies are bricked up in there? Yeah, I was mm. going to say d- d- we do not know if anyone is bricked up in that wine cellar. Um, but that maybe they consented to this. He, he uh, also owns his- a blue Ferrari, which is but- the most pervert shit I have seen in my life. Yeah, but his yellow thing. yellow is like oh quirky, fun, whatever. Blue. Freak shit. But Freak shit. Go his, to jail. Go to fucking jail. His main mm. thing, though, is that he said uh, that uh, that SoftBank should invest in Peloton because, quote, uh, men would want to masturbate to workout videos. No, that no, that's not the main the thing. The main thing is still the what? Ferrari. I'm not over the yeah. Ferrari. Yeah. But like, why is he familiar with pornography? Like yeah. internet pornography what if you deli- what if you got your porn from a stationary bike and that's why yeah. that's why they're that's billions that's why billions are yeah. for them what if what if the bike had a flashlight on it and, yeah. if, and as you pedaled it sucked you <laughs> off yeah what if that it's what they want these days what, what if that and that's why jeff Hausenbold yeah. gets to have a blue ferrari in a giant prison the faster you pedal the bike the faster it sucks you <laughs> off to be um, fair, like it's something about finance guys i'm seeing shades of um Epstein's what does that have to do with pussy question yeah. in the like ah. points to Peloton and be and it's like so does the guy jerk off in there or what? It's like <laughs> dude so, what? That's what I'm always asking right. at the SoftBank investors meetings. What does this have to do with pussy? So uh, what SoftBank says, right? Is, I mean, what it has to do with all of that is that Deutsche Bank sits at the nexus between SoftBank and Epstein. That's what that has to do with that. Oh. Um, allegedly, but surely no German could. No, uh, if you're, well, I'm not allegedly. It's documented. <laughs> documented yeah, allegedly, allegedly, by facts. Yeah, alleged by documents. Yeah, it's yeah. alleged by documents. Um, but like that. So, I, I want to sort of close on this, right? That SoftBank is just. It, it is just a bank. It is an asset manager. It's a hedge fund. But that their vision, right? Their vision always was stealth, vertical integration by stealth. They wanted to be a global conglomerate that controls the infrastructure for everything. Specifically, like, and this all hinged on owning ARM, that chip maker, was that they have the chips in the handsets, the chips in the Internet of Things stuff. They have the platforms that they all talk to each other with. You get in an Uber to your OYO hotel. You order food made in a yummy kitchen's kitchens on a handset with an ARM chip and a SoftBank SIM. But all of those things are basically have been disastrous failures. Ma- the vast majority of them have been disastrous failures or sold by SoftBank. Um, they seem to you to be failures, Mr. Chopper. <laughs> 25 moves of go ahead. <laughs> um, but this vision, while it's looking slightly more distant, I think that ambition is sort of still very much with us. And for the, for the final, final thoughts on 
on how to understand SoftBank, I, of course, would like to turn back to our guest. Yeah, I mean, it's it's super interesting um, just because, you know, as they sort of sell the the companies that they owned that like actually did stuff like they're kind of getting back to what they originally did right they're like they're returning to their roots by just um buying a bunch of stuff and selling a bunch of stuff and doing financial engineering some old school trash yeah. future shit yeah finally yeah yeah we're back we, to we the zany see- startups we're back. We're finally, yeah. They they can get back to what they really like to do, which is zany startups. Because the SoftBank Vision Fund too, not very zany yet. You know, make more investments mm. in zanier companies, Massa. Yeah, two or, Vision, two fund. Yeah. Yes, precisely. Yeah, I mean, I haven't felt alive since the WeWork stuff. I mean, come on, guys. <laughs> yeah. like, I mean, what are you com- doing? a bunch of jaded podcasters and journalists need content. Yeah. yeah, I need a Bluetooth-enabled pepper grinder that will connect to my Wi-Fi-enabled salt <laughs> shaker. Yeah, I I I just needed like. Compass, I thought, was like methadone for my for my WeWork high. I, I just it, like that I, you were like, hey, do you want to be on this podcast about like dumb Wi-Fi enabled salt shakers? And we have inadvertently documented the thing that kills the world. Yeah, it's cool. Yeah. And that I think we went we started off on heroin and then we were on methadone and I think now we're on crocodile. <laughs> I think that's where we're at. That's cool. <laughs> um so with 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 all of that, uh I think it's time to say can I see you later. My crocodile? <laughs> Absolutely. Well, you can expense the precursors like the codeine tablets, the lighter fluid and the spoons. <laughs> so, you, sorry, said, could you just tell me what quantities I need all of those things in and also what I have to do to them? <laughs> uh, well, we can talk about that off the air because it's time oh, for us. Gay nine eleven. Yeah, yeah. Once again, get back into <laughs> the that Greek Air Force doing gay nine eleven. <laughs> yeah. I we almost got through the well, entire as episode. We call it nine eleven. <laughs> we got through almost the entire episode without cut coming out. <laughs> <laughs> Thought we were gonna make it. Episode title: The Greek Air Force Does Gay Nine Eleven. <laughs> yes. Uh, but nope. It looks like it looks like no. Uh, so regardless, I want to thank uh, Alex very much for coming on today. Thanks for having me. Yes. And to, and to thank everyone out there for listening, to remind you that of the Patreon, five bucks a month, second episode comes out in some short amount of time. Think of it as an investment. Yeah. yeah. Think about it. Think of it as a, a futures of yeah. uh, fun Maybe, maybe we'll explain yeah. gay 911. Nope. Yeah, maybe we'll never... you might own some bones in the future. <laughs> yes. Never will we do that. Uh, we will, I mean, it's really just, it comes out of t- us talking about the JFK ver- uh, movie, yeah. the Oliver Stone JFK movie. Okay, so if you know 9-11, <laughs> now what if? <laughs> if you're a fan uh, of 9-11. Yeah. yeah. We will see you all later. You know the usual stuff. Uh, and yeah, that's... <laughs> I, I I really didn't do... I, I didn't Our stick the landing on the outro. Is Here We Go by Ginseng. Very good. Listen yeah. to it early. Listen to it often. Yeah, yeah there it is. There's our, all the our usual theme song stuff. is Zorba the Greek <laughs> by the Greek Air Force Played band. In increasing yeah. tempo. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. The music will never stop. So everyone enjoy the cheap credit roundabout. Mm. See you later. Bye. Bye. Bye.